0: Greetings, everyone. This is Gary Bean welcoming you to the LL Research Podcast in the Now, episode number 76. LL Research is a nonprofit dedicated to freely sharing spiritually-oriented information and fostering community, and towards this end has two websites, the archive website, llresearch.org, and the community website, bringforth.org. During each episode, we respond to questions sent to LL Research from spiritual seekers like yourself. Uh, Our ongoing panel consists of Jim McCarty, Austin Bridges, and myself, each of us a devoted student of the Law of One. Your questions allow us to explore the Law of One and related matters of metaphysical interest. But we hope only to offer a resource that enhances your seeking. Uh, Please know that our replies are obviously not the final word on these subjects. Uh, We ask you who listen to us to exercise your discernment and be sensitive to your own resonance, actually, a topic we will discuss in this episode in determining what is true for you. If you'd like to send a question to the show, please do so. Our humble podcast relies on your questions. You may either send an email to contact at llresearch.org or go to llresearch.org slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Gary Bean, and we are embarking on a new episode of LL Research's weekly podcast in the now. Jim McCarty and Austin Bridges, you guys ready to embark? I think so. I am. And I think we need to write another
1: intro because we keep getting that weekly in there. (laughs) Did I say weekly? (laughs) Yeah. Try monthly. We haven't been weekly in some time. And bi weekly is a
0: pretty spotty thing, too. We will alert our listeners that time is an illusion and we (laughs) have this podcast whenever we feel like it. That's true. Um, we do aim we do aim for bi weekly but yeah, we hope for bi weekly things happen,
1: yeah, if we go through a very busy period, then we might
0: uh skip a week or two but the 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 deal is that the subjects we 're discussing are timeless spiritual principles, so <laughs> the existing seventy five episodes on the archive website uh, are applicable at any time that 's true <laughs> um speaking of truth. <laughs> Before we get, uh, we have a question from Morgan. And uh, Morgan, some of you may be familiar, is uh, leading up a project that she calls the Law of One Rewrite or Commentary. And she has a website of that name. And um, she adds, she she tries to break down Ra's language into more common parlance. that being every single paragraph of the law of one. And it's sort of a crowdsource project. She gets a lot of help, a lot of feedback, and fine-tunes it. Um, so, we got into a discussion over email. And it was prompted by 87.7. I'm going to change out the word as with the word because to help the sentence read clearer from Ra. Ra says, In some respects, one may see a more lucid early attachment to wisdom from those of negative polarity because... The nexus of positions of consciousness upon which wisdom is laid is simpler. So Morgan was asking about this nexus of positions of consciousness upon which wisdom is laid is simpler business. And uh, I gave it my best take. Who knows? I said, uh, why is the nexus of positions of consciousness simpler for a wisdom-based viewpoint? Um, I rift, to keep the heart open is to contend with more ambiguity and uncertainty. The self seeks not to know per se, but to accept. Though that may seem simpler, that may also be more, shall we say, messy, more complicated. One must consider a plurality of viewpoints as valid in the open heart. One must honor the free will of other selves in the open heart. One must integrate, as best as possible, All the portions of one's own being and all the views of other selves. Whereas wisdom without love, that's the negative polarity, need only affirm its own right understanding while denying others' understandings. This wisdom need not necessarily integrate others' viewpoints or even its own subconscious viewpoint. Instead, Wisdom without love may impose the vision of the conscious mind upon others, and indeed upon its own resources of self. So this got Morgan thinking, and she replied, and we're getting into it now. Morgan said, I see truth as truth. Something either is or is not true. Quite often in new age groups online, one will see references to things being true so long as they, quote, resonate with someone. This is a pet peeve of mine. The fact that one likes something or finds it interesting doesn't determine its veracity. That doesn't mean I can't accept the fact that they don't know what they're talking about. She smiles. But I don't see knowledge as being an inherently negative trait. So yes, I can understand the idea of accepting others' viewpoints as their business, but accepting them as true, particularly if said views are not, seems dishonest. It seems to me that wisdom, whether love is involved or not, is built on an understanding of greater truths, and truths either are or are not. So uh, she elaborates further just by saying that how would a positive entity get to the level of fifth density if there was no innate desire to know? So, man, Morgan, that's uh, really rich with a lot of material to the mind. Uh, I think we're going to do four episodes <laughs> on this one. Um, To turn it over to you guys. Uh, Jim, where would you take Morgan's questions?
2: I think that people do have individual truths that are true for them that may not be true for anybody else. I think that's something that Ra mentioned, uh, that it's just as hard to judge the uh, rightness or wrongness of the polarity of a magnet which has a north and a south or a positive and a negative pole as it is to judge the uh, rightness or wrongness of people's actions because We don't know what's motivating them. They may not know what's motivating them. Most of the time, what is motivating each of us is something that comes from pre-incarnative choices. Uh, The subconscious mind has contact with all of our pre-incarnative choices and biases the way we see catalyst so that we will be more likely consciously to perceive the catalyst in the way that we hope to and learn the lessons that we hope to. So it might be that uh, there's a different situation that is perceived by a number of people in the same uh, occurrence. Uh, Somewhere here, Rod talks about the experience in the grocery store where there's somebody that's uh, unable to pay the bill at the checkout line. Um, And one person might decide to uh, steal. Another person might just remove the things that aren't necessary and go and And go about his business. And the person behind may see it either as, well, I don't like standing around by a person who doesn't have any money. Or, oh, maybe I'll help them out. They need some help. Um, People look at things differently. And so there can be truths that are different for different people. And those truths can change for that same person as they continue going through their life experience. It might be that at a certain time that they need to use their willpower to go through difficult situations so that they can achieve uh, what they want to learn from a difficult situation. Maybe they want to get inner strength or resolve or um, perseverance and keeping the focus one pointed. And at another time, they might decide, well, you know, I think I've tried that and it it yielded a a good result for a while, but I think I can do better. I think maybe if I try to establish more communication and be more compassionate, that I don't have to push so hard when I'm dealing with people who don't want to do this job at work or at school, that I want to do it in a certain way. So I I think things can change for us as we move. I mean, I hope they can change because I want to grow. And I think as we grow, we see things differently and we express ourselves differently. And So that's just my thought. Uh, How about you, Austin?
1: Um, This is, like Gary was saying, a huge question. And I have this sort of vague jumble of thoughts in my mind that have formed over a long period of time. And this is a topic that I ponder a whole lot, but unfortunately I think that I would need some sort of formal academic philosophical training to actually put these thoughts into like coherent words that are relevant uh, in just general cultural discussion. But I will do my best to share my feelings and thoughts on the idea of truth and resonance. I agree with everything Jim said. I think it is apparent to me that there is such thing as personal truth. Um, uh, I think that is important to acknowledge and to honor in ourselves and in others. What I see Morgan talking about is this idea of objectivity, that there is truth independent of individual feeling and thought and consciousness, that there exists a world that does not rely on our perception of it to exist as it does. And I do believe that that is also true, that objectivity is a thing that exists within our creation. And I think this is true because there's a lot of things that science particularly, has accomplished that would not be possible if individual belief and individual feeling had such an influence over reality that it changed the fundamental structure of objective reality. There's a lot that's been accomplished in the past 300 years that relies on the fact that there is an objective reality outside of what we personally perceive. My question, which is both rhetorical and literal, is um, beyond that sort of scientific progress, what does it necessarily matter? What is the importance of that objective truth in the role of our spiritual journey and in our relationship with others and in interacting with them on their own spiritual journeys and evaluating what they perceive as true? I am on the same page as Morgan with this being a sort of pet peeve of mine that in some communities and spiritual new age beliefs that resonance has a priority over all other feedback that there is a no system of evaluation of what we find like Morgan says interesting or that we like that if we like something and if it makes us, feel excited and tingle inside, then it's got to be the truth, and uh, there's nothing anybody else can say that can change that. Um, and that does, I think, uh, create some stumbling blocks upon the spiritual path, because I think there's a balance between this notion of following our resonance and um, looking into information and believing information that resonates with us to our core and then evaluating that which resonates, or even that which doesn't resonate, because the opposite can also be just as much of a stumbling block of just dismissing things that we don't like. Uh, Maybe we don't like it because there is something for us to explore there that will help us learn more about ourselves, and so simply dismissing it seems like a sort of bypassing and um, retreat into comfort, whereas I don't think the spiritual journey is always um, just collecting the things that we like and that make us comfortable so that's my initial response uh,
0: to to Morgan's uh, thoughts how about you Gary uh, likewise I um, have a jumble in my head and in talking about objective versus subjective I feel like I'm boxing out of my weight class big time especially as like this is the realm of epistemology and, uh, though I, which isn't to say I don't have a bunch of law of one things to say. <laughs> uh, That's our wheelhouse. <laughs> so, um, I suppose I should stop rambling. Yeah, on, in one sense, it seems like there, there ought to be an objective truth. I mean, if two people say two different things, only one of them, uh, about the same subject matter, only one of them can be right one might think uh mathematics for instance is uh, often you know invoked as the poster child of objective truth the two plus two only has one answer if somebody else says five they may resonate with that for whatever reason but they're wrong correct um <laughs> you know uh, and you say four you're right because um this is maybe better than objective i like intersubjective uh, as, as a label for truth in that this is a truth which transcends individuality or uh, subjective perception. It applies to more than one person. In the case of mathematics, it applies uh, so, uh, to everyone within third density. We don't know how um, math works or applies outside of this reality, but that is a good point in that um, truth is, always seems to be contextual, Uh, it can only truth, something can only be true within a given domain or within a given context. You could try to expand that domain to include the universe itself, but even then you're dealing with a certain layer of reality, which for us is third density, which Ra says specifically is not one of understanding or knowing in any sense. Um, So something like even as seemingly hard data objective as mathematics is or um, much of physics can be um, may run up against the limitations of just applying to one layer of reality, the material realm, which is a problem in science and that science wants to collapse everything to that one realm and say only the material world exists. Because it has this attitude about truth that Morgan is describing. If you are not in alignment with its truth, then you're in the realm of non-truth. Because only what it says is real. I think the term is scientism. And one is is forced to see... Again, people can say this much better than me. um, That... So much depends on where one stands when deciding what is true or not true. Um, the, there are polarized truths. Service to self has a very different truth set than service to others, but only one can be right. Right? Um, I agree with what where Jim was headed too, in that we truth so often isn't a matter of amassing information or knowledge per se. I don't think information is. Truth has a subset that can be called information, but truth ultimately is um, is a living experience of who we are and our decisions therein and our, our, our choices and where we choose to place the next step and what relationship we need to explore on or is or as Austin was describing, um, those areas of aversion that seem like non-truth to us that may also nevertheless offer us a greater truth. So I don't think that the Confederation would advise accepting other truths as your own. Um, in 6711, they, uh, Ra describes how how all the infinite voices in the creation are ultimately one, and quote, one voice to which you resonate upon a certain frequency. This frequency determines your choice of service to the one creator. All are the creator There is one vast panoply of biases and distortions, colors and hues, in an unending pattern. So your truth is located on a certain band of frequency, we could say, and there are other frequencies. They may, and distortion is such a rich concept that one must explore when considering this question, those other frequencies may be more distorted or distort the creator in unique ways. They may to you seem non truth uh, well, where you stand is truth, but where you stand is just where you stand, and there is yet greater truth for one to discover. So, I don't. The, the The confederation wouldn't advise accepting other truths as your own. I think what they might advise is accepting other truths as true for them. But there is then the problem and the question of what happens when somebody else's quote-unquote truth intersects with your quote-unquote truth. And that's at the core of third-density work. How do you relate to those who see differently? Or how do you reach conclusions about reality itself? And that's another discussion, too, that would, of course, involve the fundamental of communication, of sharing truths in so much as uh, is possible, and having a foundational respect for others who see differently, even if they are patently... Uh, absurdly wrong in your viewpoint. Um, A greater inner subjective truth can only uh, arrive and synthesize or emerge, rather, through dialogue between various nodal points of people who think that they have the truth. So, uh, so much more to say, obviously, but I'm going to stop there for now. And maybe... um, Focus the next part of our discussion on resonance itself. When Morgan issues a, a, a grievance with revenant rather resonance, and I think rightly so, because especially in the New Age community, um, there seems to be an emphasis upon resonance as the ultimate means whereby one determines what is true and sometimes the only means. So one could say something is true for them simply because they resonate with it, no matter how much it flies in the face of all intersubjective or objective truth. Um, do you guys have any thoughts that start with Jim on um, the function of resonance whether it has any limitations how uh, applicable a method is for truth knowing, Jim do you have any thoughts on that
2: well, let's hope um, I don't think there's any way to get away from resonance of what you feel is right, whether it's intuitively or intellectually, I mean I think the only place we're going to find cut-and-dried truth that people can prove is in science. But we don't live scientific lives. We're not machines. Uh, Ra called us tone poems. And we have a lot of variety to us. Each one of us comes into an incarnation with a plan. And somehow that plan imbues our perceptions of what we experience. So we go through our life and decide to take a little of this, a little of that, not that or that, because of resonance or because of judgment or because of discrimination, uh, whatever you want to call it, we have to do it that way because it's the only way to do it. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> if you adopt some scientific method for determining what you're going to do, well, the reason you accepted the scientific method because it felt right to you. It sounded right to you. Bam. You used a resonance right there, you know. Uh, you have to make choices according to your own personal discrimination of whatever kind of information and inspiration you've built up into your life through your experiences. You'll use all of that to try to go further by the same method. You know, it, you just try to figure out the best path and, and you can use all the intellect, all the discussions that you want, and that's good, that helps, but eventually it comes down to what you feel is right. You know, eventually, we have to feel our way through this illusion. We've got to open up our hearts and love it all. We don't think it all to get to the fourth density. We love it all. You know, So that's about all I've got right now. Uh, what, how about
1: you, Austin? There's uh, too much to, to talk about. I'm going to go through a few thoughts, I think. The first one, focusing on resonance and the fact that in a lot of LL research is channeling the source begins the channeling session with the statement, take what resonates and leave the rest. And I think to some that may seem like an implication that, you know, what resonates is truth. Um, I think that, this statement is born out of a necessity that allows them to speak without authority. I think that they say this because they are speaking from their own perspective that quite likely holds some truth that we can't presently see, but they don't want to be seen as authorities. And so, they basically say this statement so as not to imply that what they are saying needs to be taken as gospel and that you should use those things that they are saying that are useful to you. And if they are not useful to you on your current journey, then they should be left behind and not considered as gospel. Um, And I think that this could be expanded as a method of self-evaluation. Instead of taking resonance to mean that something is true or isn't true, I would instead use resonance as a method of feedback based on what we are experiencing and what we are hearing and sort of a signpost that says, there is something here for you to look at. There is something here for you to work with uh follow this thread. But I would also say the same is true as I was saying earlier about things that do not resonate with us or that strike a dissonant chord within us. That if we hear something that upsets us or feels wrong or off and is sort of a deeply disturbing thing, then that's also catalyst for us to use. That's also a signpost that there is something there to explore. And so if we follow those threads, if we follow a resonance and try to figure out why it resonates with us, try to figure out where in our life something happened that caused this to be an appealing or exciting subject matter. And it could go back to even before our lifetimes, and it could be a really central thing that is speaking to you and saying, here, this is the central aspect of your journey. I think that a lot of people feel that way about the Law of One itself. At least on my own journey, once I found the Law of One, what compelled me to move forward with it was the inner resonance that was so strongly undeniable that I couldn't stop, even though most of my rational faculties were telling me to turn around immediately and abandon ship. the inner core of my being was not going to abide by that. It said, this is where you need to look. And because I followed that, I ended up where I am today, not like physically, but uh, on my spiritual journey, which I can't deny is... um, I feel much more peaceful. Um, I feel like I'm in a much better place than I was before I followed that resonance. And so, I think that just saying that following your resonance is a way to evaluate truth, uh, I think that's sort of a half-true statement itself. I think that instead, a very useful way to use resonance and dissonance is as signposts of something to explore no i'll leave my thoughts there and bounce it back to you gary
0: signpost that is such a really clarifying just illuminating word thank you for introducing that and i agree completely um i would describe define resonance a little bit more because i i think it's a term that comes from acoustical terminology and that when you hit upon something that is true for you then your being resonates with that truth much as uh, an acoustical resonance a, a tuning fork will begin vibrating in proximity to another tuning fork or to uh, a frequency rather that is the same as the tuning fork. So in other words, when something is right for you, you know it. Your being is responding. And I think the word signpost is probably the best word to introduce at that point to say what that resonance is and uh, what it, what meaning it has. Certainly one could resonate with a truth that uh, one adopts as one's own because The resonance is so strong, but I don't see resonance as a mechanism whereby one can um, willy-nilly, shall we say, um, pick and select among various truths just because it feels good in that particular moment. I think that may be a misapplication of resonance. Um, Resonance, rather, I think, is is a function of a deep listening. To the self and a deep contact um, with the self. And the more we align ourselves with the Creator's will or our pre design, the more clear and strong will be that resonance, or as Austin was saying, those signposts. And I, I think it's a very real phenomenon, um, and it's something of a self-guided navigation, um, almost as if we have our own GPS inside of us, or which is rooted in the soul and the deep intelligence therein, and the higher self too, of course, that is constantly giving us orienting information. And the more... Uh, as I was saying, in tune with ourselves, that we are, the more that we're listening to ourselves, the more that we'll have that sense of resonance, When, especially when something important comes along, whether it's another person, or whether it's a book, or whether it's just a life opportunity. Um, the resonance will be one key piece of information to pay attention to, that resonance doesn't necessarily, or doesn't in all cases rather, override the need to subject one's Feelings to scrutiny and rigor and cross examination. Definitely, of course, ask the self questions. Investigate: Is where is this resonance coming from? What are my motivations? Um, how does this uh, sit against, or how does this um, integrate with evidence or information? to the contrary, and so forth. And that is a careful balancing act because one's, of course, one's um, rational mind or one's self-doubt could override and squash resonance. Um, On the flip side, one could be too head in the clouds, too uh, new agey and um, just flitting here and there with what resonates and what feels good without subjecting um, their their feeling to some cross-examination and some critical thought. So I think it is really important to emphasize some kind of balance to resonance. But uh, like Jim was saying, and I agree completely... (laughs) There's <laughs> nothing that's really happening outside of resonance. Uh, there's various... There's a spectrum of from shallow to deep resonance, but even if you're a str- an atheist, materialist, scientific uh, person, it is because um, I, you are resonating with that way of viewing the world. And of course you can back up your resonance with reams of uh, intersubjective substantiative <laughs> substantiating. Um, rather logic and uh, supporting evidence and so forth. But nevertheless, your being, your soul has chosen to adopt that, so there is some resonance or connection or draw to that. And I think one of the most important things about the concept of resonance is that it emphasizes and empowers one's own inherent and inalienable ability to recognize what is true and not true, for that person. So uh, I see the confederation doing that. As awesome as indicating as well. If, if you're emphasizing to an other self. To a recipient. To the person that is listening. Or receiving your words or thoughts or whatever. You're telling them to check their resonance for what you're saying. Then you're telling them. You're suggesting to them. To consult their own inner guide within. Don't accept your words. Uh, just because you said them. Or however much you... Um, However much justification and evidence you bring to the table, but be sure to listen with a discerning ear. And if it, it uh, even if it's um, you know, one of the greatest scientific treaties in the world that accurately describes the mechanisms and workings of the universe, is that if there's some deep non-resonance in there, then that's something to pay attention to. And the person that resonance uh, may lead them to a conclusion. That is wrong by scientific standards. Maybe this person is a creationist and and feels that Earth is 4,000 years old. And um, obviously, they, by our standards of right and wrong, are incorrect there. Earth, um, by any reasonable notion of knowledge and understanding and truth, is not 4,000 years old. But their resonance is leading them to something that they need to experience Uh, And that could be a a fundamentalist mindset or something about religion that um, speaks to part of their being, which uh, backs, and I'm about to wrap this my own thought up, circling back to Morgan's question, how do we relate to that? Like, okay, I can accept that that's their truth, but it's not true, right? So, so what do we do? And uh, I think qualities of non-judgment and acceptance are the best uh, way to start, or best common ground foundation, accepting that it is everybody else's sacred right to be wrong, <laughs> if, if that's the case. And uh, to love, as Jim was saying, love, 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 Love them as they are and to use open dialogue as much as possible because it's only by speaking to one another our different truths, even if they are irreconcilable and they have to be that way, that uh, we find what is intersubjective and what is a greater truth. Um, That's how we create the space whereby that greater truth can emerge. Do you guys have uh, thoughts, further thoughts about resonance itself?
2: Not really, <laughs> <laughs> I have summary
1: thoughts. Uh, nothing from me
0: <laughs> all right well i I don't uh, I've heard enough of myself talking right now, and I do have another chunk of something to say, and I don't want to hear myself go on too long, so I need to hear from you guys so um, I had some questions. do you think think that there and whoever wants to take this feel free that there is a hierarchy of truth that some truths are truer than others or less true than others and an ascending and a descending ranking or ordering of truth
1: (laughs) jim do you want to take a swing at that one first
2: okay um well again i think it's uh, an individual matter depends upon where you are on your spiritual path as to whether or not a certain truth would be more or less important to you at that time. We don't all progress at the same rate or in the same uh, pattern. We don't, as Ross said, we don't have to go through the energy centers in order. What we really need to be concerned about is the balance overall in the energy centers. So uh, it could be that for a certain person that it was important to begin a clearer communication and to try to uh, enhance that in his or her experience and that would then maybe lead to the ability with certain family or friends to open the heart in a greater degree because there had been uh, a clarity established as to motives and and uh, why things were happening as they were when they were, un- were not understand before. So I think it would vary according to the person and the, the situation each person is in. Um, Austin, how about you?
1: Yeah, what I hear you talking about a lot is sort of a relationship, individual relationships to truths, and that individual relationship being honored above all else, and that sort of being, I would say, in a sense, at the top of a hierarchy is each individual's relationship to their outer and inner worlds and um, their relationship to what we might call truth. Um, taking sort of a different angle at the question of whether there's a hierarchy of truth, I would venture to say yes. Um, Sort of the ultimate, highest truth that I think most people listening to this podcast would agree is the highest, is that all is one. And that any statement to the contrary is a distortion of that one, not necessarily in a pejorative sense, but that anything that speaks to the lack of oneness and unity in the universe is still, no matter how hard it tries, part of that one. And so, in that sense, I do think there is a hierarchy that sort of starts at the top, and then that hierarchy, maybe you could see it as following the progression of creation from that point. We have the first distortion of free will, second distortion of love, third distortion of light, and then every distortion that follows those. Perhaps that could be seen as a a hierarchy of truth, that some things sort of take steps back to that ultimate truth, that there are things that are more distorted from the one and some things that are less distorted from the one. And that is essentially the spiritual journey is taking steps back towards that ultimate truth, that all is one. And that's sort of how I would view a hierarchy of truth, I think. How about you, Gary?
0: Where you're going is where I'm going, and we're uh, treading the ground of paradox here. But before we attempt the folly of non-duality, I agree completely. I think there is a hierarchy of truth, uh, Ra indicates that the universe itself, the octave the eight, and the eight densities within it and all its galaxies and solar systems and life itself and all the entities that progress through those densities, this is all hierarchically arranged uh, from lesser to greater, uh, smaller to larger, so forth. Um, it's, it's ranked and as one progresses, one is making an upward movement along that hierarchy. One is, and before we get to the paradox, one is, you could say, gaining more truth or understanding the truth, understanding in quotes, more deeply, or you could say, releasing non-truth, releasing the illusion. And as one progresses through the densities from third to fourth to fifth, one is becoming more true and in the understanding of who they really are until eventually one hits that that ultimate firewall of uh, what Austin was describing, the one truth, um, that all is one. But... I I won't make a turn yet into the paradox of non-duality and holography, uh, meaning that hierarchy is also balanced in a holographic universe where everything is always infinity and so forth, and any distortion is just an illusion therein. But do you guys think that it is worth... Morgan was asking this question. She's saying if... I I can get behind accepting and loving things, but um, aren't we also striving to know, to see the truth? I mean, what are they doing in fifth density, if not that? So do you guys think it's worthwhile to engage in a pursuit of seeking the truth?
2: Well, of course (laughs) we, uh, We do want to seek the truth. We are all seekers of truth. That's what unites us. And eventually we will all get to that truth and each from a different direction. We need to remember that we all create our own reality by what we believe, whether anybody else believes it or not, or whether we will believe it later. The reality that we function by is that which is at the moment. A result of everything we've learned up to this point. And if you look back on how you've done your learning over this lifetime, you discover that it's been a series of trial and error, and that ultimately Ra's probably correct. There are no mistakes. Everything teaches. You can learn from any situation that you're in. And you will learn hopefully the way you hope you plan to learn before the incarnation. But we're going to make mistakes And we won't know it at the time that we've made mistakes. We got to believe that everybody is trying to do his or her best. If there was a better way of doing it, they would do it. And as soon as they find that better way, they will use it. So I don't think we need to worry too much about, well, was that true or was that not true? Because eventually everything is true and everything is not true. And as you said, Gary, the ultimate truth is that all is one. But right here, in this particular illusion, uh, the love vibration is what we're really working on. So I think that whatever gets us to our heart is what we need to be doing. And I would say that you know, a lot of teachers, including Ra, have some suggestions on how to do that. And we have to use our discrimination to figure out which one we want to use and give ourselves some leeway you know, for the trial and error factor that's going to be in every path. Uh, whatever path you're following, you are going to interpret it in your own way, whether you're a Buddhist, a Hindu, a Jain, a Christian, a Muslim, a Jew, New Age, atheist, whatever, you're going to interpret it in your own way. We are all unique. And, and you, that's just the way it is. You know, it's an infinite creation. And ever there are no two entities alike. And, and glory, hallelujah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I like what is present in all three of our takes on this question is that there is a a standing by one's own truth, but a doing of one's best not to impose one's truth on another, though in building a society, there is the common area whereby certain values have to be agreed upon um, and likely in third density codified into law. Uh, Especially um, to protect people and to protect the environment within which the society evolves itself. Because if uh, we just accepted certain corporate truth or uh, the the truth of the elite, then we might not have a planet anymore or the, the truth of the apathetic. You know, one has to, there comes a point, I think, where one must advocate for one's truth, but the positive polarity uh, at at the core and in principle is doing its best to honor other truths. But um, back to the same question, Austin, about um, the the worthwhileness of striving for truth. Did you have something to offer?
1: I was actually going to take it in a direction that you were just going, and Jim has driven this point home time and time again, and it's really something that, like, I feel is central and fundamental to our experience, especially right now in our reality, where things seem to be so polarized because I think that there are multiple truths (laughs) that people are clinging to, and everybody is convinced that their truth is the truth. And so... I think the fundamental thing to talk about here is what our relationship to uh, our truth and other people's truths should be. And there is a factor of, you know, the truth, capital T truth, that comes into play here. Um, As sort of an example of what I'm trying to touch on, we could talk about the idea of climate change. And I'm not going to rustle, ruffle any feathers (laughs) and say one thing or another about climate change, but using it as an example of a controversial topic within our society right now, where both sides of the debate are so convinced that they have the truth. And one side has an army of scientists on their side that are just baffled That the other side is not accepting their truth. That they have their truth because it comes from science is righteous and it is um, unflappable and it has to uh, prevail because it is from what our society has accomplished in the past, you know, 300 years since the Enlightenment. It is the truth that is what has brought us here. And so it is baffling to a lot of people that there is another. Portion of society that cannot, that does not agree that that is the truth, that they have another truth that they believe in. So the notion that you're talking about, that that seeded this question of what should our relationship to the ultimate truth be, is important here because if one side is right, if either side is right, really, there are massive implications to the question of whether that is the truth or is not the truth. If, you know, climate change advocates are right and we are headed towards complete destruction of our biosphere, then that should be a truth that uh, is acknowledged by us as a society. And if the other side is right, and i have to claim some ignorance and I'm not fully sure what the argument against climate change is, um, besides some, uh, points of evidence that it just isn't true, but then, um, I don't know what the agenda would be to push climate change, but I would say that that agenda, if it existed, would have massive implications as well. And so both sides have a version of truth that has massive implications, And um, that causes this uh, rupture within our society where we are sort of existing in two different realities where uh, half of the people believe in something that is probably ultimately not the truth. So what do we do about that? And I think the fundamental thing is basically what Jim keeps bringing back is this ultimate truth that we need to acknowledge right now is the relationship with each other, and how we approach people who don't share our truths, and how we do share our truths with the world. Because having this notion that we are righteous because we have the truth is obviously creating a rupture within our culture that um, is very painful, I think, for a lot of people, and for me especially. And this isn't just about climate change. This is what I view as what's been called the culture war and even what's been called the post-truth world. Um, So I think this is asking us to reflect on the value that we hold in truth and the value that we hold in our own truth and the value that we hold and how that affects our relationships with others. And what are our priorities here? Is it prevailing with truth or is it healing um, our relationships with each other? So that maybe if that relationship is healed, some sort of uh, real fundamental truth can then be revealed without the the rupture that has uh, been created in society. Um, so, I'll wrap up my thoughts on that there and pass it back to you, Gary.
0: Yeah, in quick reply to what you're saying, if, if indeed uh, truth is hierarchical and that there are greater and lesser truths, then I think it a movement toward the greater truth to learn to dialogue with those who see differently, even if they are unscientific and, by the meaning of the term, ignorant. Um, because the greater truth, of course, is that we are all the creator and we all sh- are part of one another, and um, the path toward the creator is the merging of self with self and self with other self. So the greater truth emerges when we learn to talk one another and not barricade ourselves in our reality bubbles armed with the information that agrees with us, which does not mean that I am uh, uh, drawing equivalence between Uh, two sides of any given issue, including climate change. I don't think climate change deniers and climate change advocates, which is not a 50-50 split, uh, deniers are by far in the minority. I don't think those are two um, equally true camps, shall I say. But the greater truth is, of course, that we are all the creator and that greater truth is arrived at through, uh, maybe paradoxically, acceptance itself and love itself. Um, but then, on the level of policy, you know, certain decisions do need made to avert planetary destruction. Uh, Austin was heading here uh, a little while ago, and I think like, if you want to get to the heart and of of the whole notion of truth, um, Ra says that there is only one truth, just one, and they label. Rather, the label that they have for that truth is called the law of one, those words. And as all mystics have reported, Ross says that this one truth is ineffable. There are no words, concepts, physics, or formulations that equal or capture this truth. There's no way to adequately articulate this. It can only be approximated in language, Ross says. It can only be pointed to, and it is wrapped in mystery itself. So against that backdrop of the one truth, then everything we know and experience is a seeming non-reality, what Ra calls a distortion or, um, or illusion, illusory realities, illusory individuals, illusory experiences, Ra's preferred term for the law of free will which is the very first distortion of intelligent infinity, is, quote, the law of confusion, such as our grasp of truth and our exercise (laughs) of truth. And Ra deepens this by stating literally that there is no polarity, no right or wrong, no disharmony. They say that there is no separation. So when you negate everything at, at that level, then there goes our universe, as we know it, we're continually in a realm of, of shadows, or one could say non-truth. Uh, in 61.9, Ross says specifically that this is not a dimension of knowing, e- even subjectively. They say the subjective acceptance of that which is at the moment and the finding of love within that moment is the greater freedom. They say that known as the subjective knowing without proof is in some degree a poor friend for there will be anomalies no matter how much information is garnered due to third density. They say in 1639 that it is absolutely necessary that an entity consciously realize that it does not understand in order for it to be harvestable. Understanding is not of this density. So that's how in the dark, so to speak, or you know, quite metaphysically, literally, we are. We're dancing in shadows with illusory identities that don't ultimately exist. But then you get into the question of, is there such a thing as non-truth if all that there is is infinity, all that there is is truth? Is even as uh, Ramana Maharshi says, illusion itself is illusory. if there's nothing that's not infinity, if there's nothing that's not the creator, if even seeming progress itself towards the creator is an illusion because we never left the creator in the first place, there's no creator to get back to that we were ever separate from, it's just a a simulation, so to speak, then can there be such a thing as non-truth? So in, in light of that paradox, which doesn't have its answer in this podcast or in any, um, you know, amount of thinking or words, then it be, becomes easier to be less dogmatic about what is and is not true. And, certain the, and the paradox is, is that, as I was saying earlier in the podcast, I see true as being contextual, always. Whatever one says is true has to take into account what is the context that that statement is made. What is the domain? And the biggest context that we know is creation itself, of course. So within the relative world of the manifest and the many, uh, there is a, a hierarchical ordering of energies and entities and, and truth and truth seeking. But the paradox is, is that ultimately, no matter where on that hierarchy you are, no matter how distorted or head up your butt you may be, you're always the creator You're no more the creator, you're no less the creator. It seems we become the creator, but that is the paradox of the illusion, isn't it? Jim may have a closing thought for us. So, Austin, did you have any further thoughts?
1: Nope. Let Jim take it away. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this, you know,
2: all of this is our opinion, and uh, people can take or leave whatever we've got to say, and we hope that you'll just uh, keep that in mind that your discrimination is the most powerful tool you've got at your disposal. Uh, I don't think it matters if there is an ultimate truth or not an ultimate truth or if there's a bunch of lies because, as Gary mentioned, this is not the density of understanding. We can't tell really what's true and what's not true. All we can tell is that whatever's facing us every day is what we have to deal with and we deal with it the best we can. Whatever our spiritual path has been, we keep following that and using it. And if it looks like there's some adjustment we need to make, then we make the adjustment. You know, it's all trial and error. This is definitely an illusion, but you know, it's an illusion with a purpose. And the purpose is to help us find our way through it. And oddly enough, the more confusing it is, which the veil of confusion, (laughs) uh, you know, put in place for us, the more effectively we polarize. Back before there was a veil, the entities then saw the unity of the creation. Love and light, everybody. Everybody was a creator. But it took them so long to get out of the third density because there was no reason to go forward or go anywhere because where you were was perfect. But now we've got the veil of forgetting. and Everything is confusing. So. I think what is really important for us is what we intend to do and what we intend to do is to learn how to love and how to love ourselves and love each other and love the world around us and whatever catalyst comes our way every day gives us another chance to exercise that theory that we need to learn how to love because you know deep down in the heart of each one of us there is the Creator. And the creator really does exist in there and, and is full of love. And because the Creator's there, there, it, it gives us this impulse, this motivation to try to find it somewhere in the world. And eventually we look within ourselves and we discover that there is that presence there that if if we begin to give love, we, we start getting love back. It's like a mirroring effect. Everything we do mirrors back to us from the people around us. And if you start loving people, my golly, they feel that and they appreciate it because deep down in the heart of them, the creator's there too and saying, yeah, that's the way to go. Keep doing that. So that's my feeling is that You can't make a mistake. There are no mistakes. All you can do is exercise your intention and go forward to the best of your ability. And you have a lot of people on the road with you to help you out because you know we're all doing the same thing and um, we all help each other out to come home. Folks, there's been a lot of talk about what the truth is. And what we want you to know is that we love you. That's the truth.
0: Thank you, Jim. <laughs> you've been listening to LL Research's bi-weekly podcast, In the Now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our website, llresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thank you so much for listening, for supporting this podcast with your questions. And a special thanks to Morgan for such a rich and deep question. If you'd like to hear us ramble on about a particular topic, please read the instructions on our page at llresearch.org slash podcast. Uh, New episodes are published to the Archive website every other Wednesday. At least that's what we try to do. Have a wonderful couple weeks, and we'll talk with you next time.